Hey everyone, welcome to the Faith Chapel Podcast. We are so glad to have you join us. Faith Chapel exists to help people follow Jesus, be transformed by Jesus, and be on mission with Jesus. No matter where you are on your spiritual journey, you're welcome here. If you have any questions about who we are or what you hear, you can visit faithchapel.cc or email podcast at faithchapel.cc. We'd love to hear from you. All right, let's dive into this week's message. Well, big hello to everybody. My name is Nate. If we have not yet met, I am so honored to be able to spend some time with you, everybody online. And in particular, I got this note. I love this. Uh, There's a group of young people from the Ted Lechner Youth Center that are tuning in this morning. So, hey, thanks for joining us. We're really honored that you spend this time with us. We are in a series uh, studying the book of 1 Timothy. We just started last week. And we're looking at this book. It's different than many of the books in the New Testament. It's a personal letter to a man named Timothy that Paul writes. And he writes it sometime in the mid-60s AD. And here's his relationship with Timothy. Uh, About a dozen years before this, he had found a young man named Timothy in a city called Lystra. And he invited Timothy into his life. And they traveled together for at least a decade. And as they travel, Paul just teaches Timothy. He he uh, empowers him. He instructs him. He, he um, allows him and asks him to participate in the planting of these new churches in the Roman world. And somewhere along that period of time, Paul says to Timothy, I need you to go back to Ephesus, a place where they spent three years together, and I need you to serve that church. And Ephesus is the third largest city in the Roman Empire. It's very influential. And Timothy reluctantly goes. And we don't know everything that has happened. But somewhere along the line, Paul gets news that it's not good in Ephesus. Okay? (laughs) Things aren't pretty. And there's two major things that we looked at last week. Number one is Timothy's personal reluctance. Timothy is just tired. He's feeling insecure. There are powerful personalities within the church that are domineering him, that are uh, trying to chase him out of town. And word has gotten back to Paul that Timothy wants to leave. He's like, I'm I'm done with this city. I'm done with these people. And so at the very beginning of chapter 1, Paul says, as I reminded you earlier, I want you to stay. Please stay. So Timothy is dealing with personal insecurities, a reluctance, fatigue. He just wants to go. Here's the second major problem. Deformities in the good news. Okay, so good news, the word gospel means good news. And Paul's heard that there are people, there are voices within the church that are doing a couple things that are really, really damaging. Some people are looking back at the Old Testament, okay, the books written before Jesus, And they're trying to superimpose Old Testament teaching into this new way of following Jesus. Okay, they're trying to say, you still have to keep the law. Other people seem to be, uh, it's called syncretism, where they're taking the ancient worship of the goddess Diana. There's a, a temple in Ephesus, which is one of the seven wonders of the world. And she's a goddess that they've worshiped for centuries. And they're like morphing together the message of Jesus and the message of Diana. And here's what Paul says to Timothy in chapter one. He commands him to tell people to stop doing that. 
the, the deformation of the original good news of Jesus is it's unacceptable. Timothy, you have to stop this. So here's where we're at. We're going to read just three verses this weekend. Uh, verses 18, 19, and 20 from chapter 1. Paul's talked about his own confidence and how he keeps going through difficult times. And then he's going to look at Timothy and he's going to say, here's some really important things for you to know. One, I need you to understand who he says you are. Number two, I need you to fight for the right things. Number three, I need you to hold on. Hold on to your faith and your good conscience. And then uh, he's going to say, in addition to that, Timothy, you've got, you've got some important work to do and do not give up. Let's read together. First Timothy chapter 1, verse 18. Timothy, my son, I am giving you this command. So the command was tell people to stop. Like bring the gospel with clarity, the good news of who Jesus is and what he's come to do. In keeping with the prophecies once made about you. Okay, so Paul says, Timothy, I want you, in the midst of your discouragement, I want you to remember what God has said about you in the past so that by recalling them, you may fight the battle well. So a reluctant guy like Timothy who's getting pushed around, he says, Timothy, I need you to fight a battle. Holding on to faith and a good conscience which some have rejected and so have suffered shipwreck with regard to the faith. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander. So Paul's going to actually mention two people. Wouldn't this be a bummer if that was you in 2,000 years later? <laughs> We're reading about you, right? He says, uh, Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom, have whom I have handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. We're going to have to explore that. How many people are, being, are interested in being handed over to Satan, right? That just sounds terrible, doesn't it? So what is Paul doing and why is he doing this? Let's go through this passage. Number one, Paul says to Timothy, I need you to remember what he has said about you. In the midst of your crisis, in the midst of your discouragement, Timothy, here's what you just need to know. You need to know what he, meaning God, has said about you. Because Paul could encourage him and he's going to do his best. But ultimately, Paul's not there and Timothy is by himself. And Paul says, in order for you to thrive, in order for you to make it, in order for you to succeed, you're going to have to constantly remind yourself what God says about you. Because that is the most important thing when it comes to self-perception and identity. Now, of course, Timothy did not have this. He didn't have the New Testament. It's being written. In today's world, here's a beautiful thing. This is, this is what I tell people. When you're facing a crisis, a difficulty, when you're discouraged, when it seems like the odds are stacked against you, I think the most important thing that you can know is what he says about you. This is exactly what Jesus did when he's tempted by Satan. What does he do? He quotes the scriptures. Instead of trying to like, like I, I'm going to outthink the enemy, he goes, no, no, no. This is what I know God says about me. And so in this book are these beautiful, beautiful promises of what God says about you, of how valuable you are, of how faithful he is. 
and memorizing those things. And in a time of crisis, rather than listening to the cacophony of noise and the intimidating voices and the people who are telling you, you're not going to make it. We want you to quit. Paul says this, you need to narrow in and you need to remember what he, God Almighty, says about you. Because that is the only thing that is going to make you get through. So Paul uses this term prophecies, though. What is he getting at? We do not know the details, but somewhere in Timothy's past, someone, we don't know if it was Paul, we don't know if it was other people in the church, spoke truth over and into Timothy's life regarding who Timothy was and what he was supposed to do. And so Paul says, you remember years ago, someone spoke something over you. So what is prophecy? Well, oftentimes in our culture, we kind of just bundling into this whole thing about someone who predicts the future. About 80% of the time in the Bible, prophecy doesn't have anything to do with the future. It has to do with someone speaking truth on behalf of God to someone else. So it's someone whose voice is animated by God, right? So it's, it's not like me trying to think my most positive thoughts and, and like speak them over you. It's me being animated by God and speaking something true over someone else's life. That God presents truth in the midst of crisis. So somewhere in Timothy's past, Paul knew about it. There were things that were spoken about you regarding who God is. And Timothy, in the midst of all the noise in Ephesus, in the midst of all your confusion, you need to remember what was said. I, I want to give you an example of that. So I'm going to ask, Cameron, could you try to zoom in on this? This is a, uh, a 30-year-old card. I'll show you the back. It's so faded. Um, I actually had to print it out because I can't read it from the back anymore. Let me tell you about this card. <clears throat> June 1993, uh, I graduated from a Bible college. And the president of the Bible college wrote a personal card to me. And I assume he did it for everybody. I, I just assume that. And there are very few things that I've held on to for 30 years. But this is something I've held on to for 30 years. And it's always been at my desk. And I want to tell you a little bit about the context of when he wrote this. Uh, three and a half years before he wrote this, I had been expelled from his Bible college. for misbehavior, we'll just leave it at that. That was the official term. With three of my buddies, and uh, the three of them moved on, and I decided to stay, and I reapplied, and they let me back in, and I graduated. At this point, at 22 years old, I was uh, quite self-confident and um, terribly inexperienced, and I just, I just felt like God wanted me to pastor, but I'd, I'd never preached the Bible, I led youth groups, but that was about it. And this is what he wrote to a 22-year-old punk who had been previously expelled from his college. He wrote this, in the final words of the great apostle's letter to young Timothy, the Holy Spirit preserved this charge, which he now also gives to you, Nate. 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 2. In the presence of God in Christ Jesus, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Even if an angel of the Lord must open a seemingly impossible door as in Acts chapter 5. 
the word to you is the same. Go, stand in the temple courts and tell the people the full message of this new life. And again, from Jeremiah 26.2, stand in the courtyard of the Lord's house and speak to all the people who come to worship in the house of the Lord. Tell them everything I command you to do. Do not omit a word. The testimony of your life and ministry shall be Isaiah 52.7. Nathan, he called me Nathan like my mom. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim salvation, who say God reigns. President Farmer. This is, this is written over a guy who'd never, <clears throat> never even had a chance to teach the Bible yet. That's, that's exactly what Paul is asking Timothy to remember. Because when you're in a crisis, like Timothy was in a crisis, when you want to give up, when you want to leave, Paul says, you have to root yourself in a completely different reality. And somewhere along, along the line, God had said things about Timothy that were true, and Timothy didn't think they were true any longer. Somewhere along the line, I've got I've to understand it doesn't matter how I feel as much as it matters what God says. And so you have to remind yourself of what he says about you. Because there is gonna be a voice that says you're a failure. There is gonna be a voice that says you can't make it. There will be voices that say you're unworthy. You can't be forgiven. That there's no hope for you. And you go back and you say, that's not what I need to hear right now. I need to hear what he says. That I am forgiven. That God is a God of second chances. That God takes average, everyday, ordinary people and could do extraordinary things through them. And so part of this would be me understanding what he says about me. Root your identity in that. Secondly, there's this aspect to having a prophetic voice. To let God animate your voice and say things over people's life that goes far beyond what you know. Let God speak. Let, be a president farmer, Okay. Because I can tell you this, there, there were more than a few times where I felt a little bit like Timothy, like, oh man, I just, I want to go do something different. And this card reminded me of what God said about me. Remember what he says about you. Here's the second thing that Paul says to Timothy. Timothy, I need you to fight. I need you to fight. So... Everything that we know about Timothy seems to see, be that he's reluctant and he tends towards passivity. And Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, you don't have a healthy spiritual dynamic life or a healthy uh, dynamic church by passivity. So passivity and procrastination and putting off the hard conversations, Timothy, you can't do that. I need you to step forward because there's this thing called entropy that exists in the world, right? It's one of the laws of thermodynamics, that nothing gets better by itself, that things spiral towards chaos. And he says, Timothy, if you just keep your passivity, here's what's going to happen. In your own life and in that church in Ephesus, things are just going to implode. It will just get worse unless you stand up and you step forward and you say, no, no, no. I'm going to fight for the integrity of the message of Jesus. I am not going to let people add things from the law, nor am I going to let people add things from the worship of the goddess Diana. I'm going to have to be bold enough to step up and go, actually, that is not true. What so-and-so just told you, 
That is not the good news. That's a hybrid. That's a distortion of the gospel. You're going to have to stand up in the midst of criticism, which is going to make you, Timothy, want to fade and hide. You're going to have to stand up and go, "Uh, actually, no. That's not true about me. What's true about me is what God says about me. And in our lives, some, some of us are confrontational by nature. I'm not. Oh, man. I, I have to have strong people with me um, in meetings that are difficult because I'll be like, oh, I'm so sorry. Never mind. No big deal. Right? So we call it good cop, bad cop. So somebody else comes and is like, tell them what you said you needed to say. Okay. Okay. Some of us are not confrontational. And Paul would say this, I'm not asking you to go out there and pick fights. But there are certain things that are worth fighting for. It's not what you fight against. It's not fighting against people. It is fighting for truth. It is fighting for righteousness. It's fighting for your personal integrity. It's fighting for the integrity of the gospel. Timothy, I need you not to be passive. You cannot procrastinate any longer. You need to step up and you need to find courage in the Lord to fight for what is right. So Timothy, remember what God says about you. That is so essential. Timothy, no more passivity, no more procrastination. I need you to fight for the things that are right, the things that we're fighting about. And then thirdly, he says this, I want you to hold on, to hold on. And Paul says there are two things that you need to hold on to with all the tenacity that you can muster. The first is your faith, and the second is a good conscience. So what is Paul driving at here? How do you hold on to your faith? Well, it might seem a little bit silly to tell Pastor Timothy, right, who's walked with Paul for a dozen years. He says to Timothy, Timothy, Your faith, it is not something that can just be on autopilot. It is something that you tenaciously need to hold on to. Because faith can fluctuate. There are going to be moments in our lives where we are just convinced of God's goodness and love. And we're filled with courage. And then there are moments where you feel like your faith has just gone flat. And I'm just, I'm holding on. And that's about all I can do right now is to hold on. And Paul says this, I need you to hold on to your faith with desperation. Because if you let go, it, it, it's not going to be pretty. Um, anybody, anybody a rodeo fan? I'm a rodeo fan. I have been since I grew up in Colorado. The first time I rode a steer lasted 0.75 seconds. Um, but my, my new favorite thing at the rodeo is uh, mutton busting. Anybody ever seen that? They don't do it at all rodeos, but there's these kids. I mean, these kids are so brave. They have masks and helmets and flak jackets, but they start them at four or five years old. So it's about four or five up to year eight. And they put them in the chutes and they put them on an adult sheep. And these kids, like there's no saddle, there's no rope to hold on to. They just lay on the back and put their arms around the neck of the sheep and they open the gate. And like, there's usually a line. If you hold on until the sheep gets to here, you can let go. And you know, half the time, kids just fall off immediately. But this summer, I was at a rodeo, and there was this little kid who I think illustrates hold on extremely well. He's six years old. He's wrapped around this sheep, and they let it go. And, man, this kid 
holds on to the sheep and they're past the line. And the announcer's like, you can let go now, you can let go. He can't hear anything. He's holding on so tight, his body rotates. And now he's under the sheep, his legs, the, the sheep's running this way. He's just, he's just holding on, holding on. The sheep finally gets so tired, it just stops. And this kid's still like, death grip. The bullfighter comes over and grabs this little guy and says, you can let go now. And you can see his head shake, no. And it was like his mom and dad told him, whatever happens, don't let go, okay? And he's like, no. And so the bullfighter's like, finally rips him away and puts the little kid down. The kid, you know, throws his arms in the air and the crowd goes nuts. Because this little kid knew how to hold on. That life sometimes is gonna get a little bit Western. Timothy, what you're experiencing, it's like a church rodeo, buddy. And it is crazy, but you need to have the tenacity to hold on to your faith. And secondly, you need to hold on to a good conscience. And what does that mean? A good conscience is it's simply this. He's not, he's not asking Timothy to be perfect. He says, Timothy, to hold on to a good conscience means this, is that I am not hiding anything from anyone. That there's no reason for me to have secrets which then force me to create a facade, to paint a portrait of myself that is not authentic. He says, Timothy, you have to be honest with yourself and you have to be honest with the people around you so that when you stand in front of that church, your conscience is clear. Nobody there thinks that you're perfect, but they do know this about you. You're honest and you're authentic. And Paul says, if you can't hold on to a good conscience, here's what happens. You have an internal battle where you are hiding certain things, where you are acting. The word for uh, hypocrisy that we have from the Greek, it was the first word that was used for Greek actors. Is that you held a mask in front of your face and you were a hypocrite, which meant you pretended to be someone that you actually weren't. And that became hypocrisy, is that I hold a mask and I want the public to think that I'm this person, but behind the mask, I'm somebody entirely different. Paul says, you can't have that because your conscience won't be clean. You've got to be honest and you've got to hold on to your faith and hold on to a good conscience. And part of even what we do around here is you'll notice we've got a recovery group for almost everyone, right? I mean, it, it, it's astounding to me. And we have this phrase, and it, it is not just lip surface. It's okay not to be okay. That This is a place where we understand we would rather be authentic, and we would rather say, hey, I'm completely broken. I have this addictive thing in my life. I've got these issues. We'd rather be honest than try to hold up the mask. We want a clean conscience. Uh, oftentimes. I meet people and I talk to them about church. They ask me, what do you do? And here's the most common thing I hear from them. Like, oh, I used to go to church, but the church is filled with hypocrites. And you know what I say to them? I go, I know it's terrible. You should come to our church. It's completely filled with hypocrites, but we're all hypocrites in recovery. We're all working this recovery process. We are attempting to be as authentic as possible and not hold up a mask where we are saying, yeah, hey, I love Jesus and I am broken. And we wanna create a community where people can talk about their brokenness and they're not judged, they're not condemned, that it's a safe place to not be okay. 
And Paul says, you've got to hold on to your faith and hold on to your clear conscience. Because a, a, a muddled conscience, it, it'll destroy you. Because your life is a fabrication. He says, I, I want you to do this <clears throat> because if you don't, your faith ends up shipwrecked. And this is where he first introduces these two men, Hymenaeus and Alexander. Shipwrecked. I just want to show you a picture. We can think about this for a moment. He says, Timothy, if you don't hold on to your faith, and you don't hold on to a, a good conscience, if, if you're not authentic, here's what happens. You quit moving. Your intended purpose stops. Deterioration sets in. Immobility sets in. Last night I got into a whole bunch of trouble when I used the term uh, get your ship moving again. Um, people laughed hysterically. I'm going to be very careful how I talk about ships right now. But he says, I, I want to I tell you about two guys in Ephesus who they shipwrecked their faith and it, it's Hymenaeus and Alexander and here's what happened. They didn't hold on. They didn't fight for what was right. They didn't have a clear conscience. They didn't keep a grasp on their faith, and, and they end up in this place. So Paul says, Timothy, when life is difficult, you got to remember, first and foremost, what he says about you. you got to fight for the most important things. You cannot afford passivity or procrastination. You must hold on to your faith. And you must hold on to a good conscience. And then lastly, I want us to look about what happens when it gets messy within the church. Let's talk a little bit about Hymenaeus and Alexander. I mean, these poor guys, 2,000 years, we're reading their names. It's a personal letter from Paul to Timothy. But they're there for a purpose. They're there for us to learn from. So it was messy inside of the church in Ephesus. And guess what? It's messy inside of churches today. We don't want it to be, but it is. So churches filled with broken people, right? And so sometimes that leads to mess. Now what is happening? Because here's what Paul says. Hymenaeus and Alexander, they've shipwrecked their faith. And then Paul says, I've turned them over to Satan. If it just ended there, that's super scary. But he says, I've turned them over to Satan so that they may be taught not to blaspheme. Okay, blaspheme is when you actually speak a lie as if it were truth. So he says, here's what's happened to these two guys. I've turned them over to Satan. Now there's a, we don't know exactly what Paul means there. It could mean this, is that Paul said they are now outside of the church. They're not allowed to participate in this church any longer. And there's some New Testament thinking that would say, when you're outside of the church, you're not protected by the body. The inside the church, there is a protection that Jesus gives. So they're outside. Or Paul could mean this. I, I'm done coaching them and I'm done praying for them. I am actually pushing them out. Why? So that Satan can teach them not to blaspheme. Wouldn't you want God to teach you not to blaspheme? But, but Paul says there's a really good teacher out there. His name's Satan. So here's what's going to happen. Hymenaeus and Alexander are going to get their high knees kicked. Now, what do we do with that? Because 
There are some embarrassing realities about church discipline in the history of the church. You ever heard of the Inquisition? Here's what we'll do. You believe the wrong thing? We'll hook you up to a machine that stretches your body. How about that? Here's the difference between what Paul says and sometimes what has happened in the church. The church discipline, and that's exactly what this is, is never meant to be punitive. Punitive is punishment. Church discipline is always meant to be restorative. And so if we get this confused, and boy, by the way, this is a great principle. If you are a, a teacher, if you're a parent, when you begin to think that discipline is punitive, I'm doing this to punish you, I think you've lost the mark. Discipline should always happen to restore someone, to give them a, a, a sense of training so that they can move into health. And so Paul says this, I want, to, I want Alexander and Hymenaeus to be restored. I want them to be taught something. And the best way for them to be taught something right now is for them not to be a part of this church where Satan's gonna get in there and he's going to have a heyday with them. And the hope is this, is that they repent that they learn not to blaspheme, that they come back to the truth, they come back with a humble heart and say, God, forgive us. God, forgive us. Paul doesn't want to destroy them. So what do we know about these two guys? There are two other references to these men in Paul's second letter that he writes to Timothy. And I want us to look at that because that'll help us to understand what is happening with Hymenaeus and Alexander and why some, such extreme measures were taken. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul says this, their teaching will spread like gangrene. Okay, this is how seriously Paul takes false teaching. It's like gangrene. It rots away the body. Among them are, here he is, Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have departed from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place and they destroy the faith of some. So here we have at least a glimpse of why Hymenaeus was in such trouble, why Paul said, he has to be taught. Hymenaeus is teaching this. It's an early form of Gnosticism. The, the physical world is bad. Everything about the physical world is bad. Only the spiritual world is good. It's a hybrid of some of the common teachings in Ephesus. And he would say this. When Jesus came, he resurrected the spiritual world. And he resurrected. Nothing else is going to happen. And Paul says, that, my friends, is dangerous. Because what does it do? It destroys the faith of some. It destroys one of the essential biblical teachings that Jesus was resurrected from the dead actually bodily. And that one day human beings will be resurrected from the dead actually and bodily. He says, Hymenaeus, he teaches something that destroys people's faith. And this is a false teaching and he's been addressed and he refuses to be corrected. Now, what do we know about Alexander? So that's blasphemous teaching, right? Here's what we know about Alexander. At the end of Paul's letter, 2 Timothy, he mentions this. Alexander, the metal worker, so he, um, some sort of blacksmith, did a great deal of harm. Did me a great deal of harm. So Alexander is more of a personal injury to Paul. Hymenaeus was a false teacher. But we don't know, what, what did he do? What did he say? How did he, how did he betray Paul? Well, this is a personal wound. Now, this next verse, I just want to look at all of us who have been wounded, who have wondered how can we ever forgive. I understand forgiveness is a process, but I also understand that unforgiveness rots away your soul. 
Look at what Paul does with this. Can we go back to our Timothy passage? There we go. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. We do not know what happened between Alexander and Paul. We know that it hurt Paul. And here's what Paul says. Part of forgiveness is giving up my right to get even. Is giving up my dreams of revenge. And I've decided that God's going to deal with Alexander. I'm not. And I know for some of us, you're like, well, what's the big deal? But for some of you who have been profoundly injured, in our minds, we begin to think about revenge scenarios and we hope bad things. Paul says, here's what you got to do with that. You got to say, Lord, I leave that in the hands of a just God. I will not sit around and contemplate and daydream about revenge. I hand over justice to God. So Hymen is Alexander. Paul says, we want them to be restored. We want them to be taught. But there is something atrocious that has happened. And they have refused to repent. And our, our church discipline is not punitive. It is restorative. We're always hoping for the best. And there's one other thought I want to add to this. Because in the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about church discipline. So oftentimes there's this mistaken concept that um, the church needs to spank the world. Okay, right? So like, oh, those people are acting like heathens out there. Like, get them over here. Let's spank them. Like, stop doing that. That's naughty. This is really important for us to understand when we think about church discipline. So what does Jesus want? He wants an authentic church. He wants a church that loves. And he wants a church that's pure, right? So that's part of why this happens to happen. So this is uh, 1 Corinthians. We read this last year. You might recognize it. Paul says, what business is it of mine to judge those outside of the church? So here's a mistake that has often happened over the last 10 years I've seen is the church decides it's their job to judge people outside of the church. What's Paul say? That's not my job. Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. So this, is, this is fascinating. You and I are responsible to each other to have honest conversations, to call out things that might keep us from having a clean conscience. To be frank, say, you know what? I know you and I know the person that Jesus made you to be. I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't think you want to mess with that. that. Our job is to like look at each other in, in loving ways and say, hey, you know what I've told my kids a lot? Um, they're all adult children, so I, I don't say this anymore. And I, I, for a while I wondered if it was right, but oftentimes I go, you're so much better than that. When I want to just yell at them and tell them, you're like, you're a big turd, right? It's that go like, you're better than that. God made you to do something so different than that. And I think that's what Paul is saying is, like, our job is to have honest conversations. Our job is to scrutinize each other with love, not just pointing out, like, right? Because you can, like, anybody who's been around here for a while, you could probably point to 40 people in this room that bug you. 
right? We're called to love the people that bug us, correct? So it's not like what bugs me, but it's like we are honest. We are honest with one another. So to wrap all this up, let's just conclude. Paul says to Timothy, he says to you, he says to me, remember, when things get tough, the most important thing is to remember what God has said about you. Find some places in a scripture that speak truth that you can repeat over and over and over again because when the enemy says, you're not worth it, you say, this is what God says about me. Find ways to be prophetic people. Speak truth over their lives that they can aspire to one day. Fight. Don't procrastinate. Don't be passive. Fight for the things that are right. Hold on with tenacity to your faith and hold on to your good conscience. And lastly, deal with the mess within. Because Paul just didn't want to deal with that. Or Timothy didn't want to deal with it. Like, I don't want to deal with the Alexanders and the Hymenaeuses. Paul says these things have to be dealt with because the church is called to be a representation of who Jesus is. And part of that is healthy and loving correction. We hope that this helps you take your next step on your spiritual journey. If you'd like to get involved with the work and ministry of Faith Chapel, visit faithchapel.cc and click on Next Steps. If you'd like to speak to a pastor or connect with us in any way, email connect at faithchapel.cc. We look forward to connecting with you soon.